section fifty five of the world war this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world story volume fifteen the world war edited by horatio w dresser section fifty five the machine-gun destroyers nineteen sixteen by louis octave philippe for some time it has been noticed that the germans to make up for the enormous losses which they have sustained have been replacing their soldiers by materiel men are not lacking not yet but their principal force of resistance is now represented by a great quantity of artillery and an abundance of machine-guns the german artillery production was long ago counterbalanced by our own it was the machine-guns that caused us the most trouble in our attempts to advance and we were thus forced to try to find a new instrument for their destruction after some experimenting it was decided to equip all our regiments with a new portable cannon thirty-seven millimetres in calibre and designed purposely to demolish machine-guns during an attack it is not permissible for me to describe the thirty-seven but i can say that there exists nothing in the world more accurate anything which can be seen can be hit and it is perfectly possible to strike with the second shell a rolled-up handkerchief fifteen hundred metres away the speed of fire is extreme a well-trained crew can shoot thirty or thirty-five shells a minute since the cannon can be very conveniently and quickly taken to pieces its transportation is comparatively easy its weight allows it to be carried by its crew over the roughest ground when in my regiment volunteers were called for to form a group of thirty-seven gunners i was instinctively attracted toward this pretty little jewel of a miniature cannon and immediately offered my services i have a profound distaste for talking about myself however i shall have to overcome it because in recounting my experience with the thirty-seven millimetre gun it will be absolutely necessary to speak personally from the time of my arrival at the school of instruction i set to work with ardour i felt in my element i quickly fell in love with my new specialty i was taught to be marksman of the piece a most delicate role and was discovered to be an excellent shot when the course of instruction was over my gun crew carried off first prize in a competitive examination for the army corps against one hundred and twenty-three rivals at the same time though it was not obligatory i followed the course of instruction for gun captains and i learned as well as any non-commissioned officer how to calculate distances angles of projection and so forth i was then far from realizing that this supplementary work would be responsible at a later day during the battle of the Somme, for my nomination as a sergeant and my promotion to the captaincy of the gun for heroic conduct under fire after having been a corporal only twenty-four hours a unique experience in our regiment for a citation in the ordre du jour before the whole army the personnel felicitations of the general and a nice wound which now permits me to recover quietly in paris from my long fatigues and privations but let us not anticipate i should like however to say just one more word before beginning my story you must not think in reading what follows that i am a prodigy of valour and recklessness it is simply that i have become used to danger during my long experience in battles whatever happens i am always calm and master of myself and then i may as well confess it since the war i have become a fatalist i believe that when the hour of death is destined to come nothing can postpone it and on the other hand until that hour is ready to strike one is invulnerable 
this idea is so firmly implanted in my soul that i recoil before nothing knowing well that nothing will happen to me except that which must happen in the first line trenches on september tenth our complete crew consisted of a sergeant a corporal a man to load the gun four shell carriers and myself the marksman on the twelfth as we left to take part in the attack on the forest of andalou our corporal was wounded by a piece of shrapnel which grazed his neck and then broke his collarbone we went forward on the first wave of assault carrying on our shoulders the cannon which had been taken to pieces and six sacks containing altogether one hundred and eight shells weighing about two hundred and thirty kilograms for the first three or four hundred metres all went well but when we arrived at the southern edge of the wood one carrier fell wounded by a piece of shrapnel in the hip then five minutes later another fell with a wound in the head then the gun loader with a piece of shrapnel in his chest pretty bad luck for our first sally our burden became heavy with so few to carry it so we decided to abandon three sacks of shells a third carrier was wounded by a machine-gun bullet just as we were about to put the gun in position there remained only the sergeant one carrier and myself since our seventy-fives had by this time destroyed the enemy machine-guns we arrived at our first objective without having fired a single shot on the thirteenth at noon alert we put ourselves in firing position and wait while on his way to ask the commandant's orders the captain of the gun is hit in the thigh by a piece of shrapnel i am alone with my one carrier what am i to do i decide to stay in the same place and as we are expecting a counter-attack at any moment we wait for it to break loose i shall have to aim load the gun and fire while my single carrier hands me the shells i take the lead of my little column and after numerous stops for the cannon is hard to carry for those who are not used to it especially when the shells are falling thick we arrive at a sunken road which runs along the northern edge of the forest forming our first line of trenches at once i look for a good place to set up the cannon and i choose at the northwestern corner of the wood a high mound of earth under which there is a half-demolished german bomb-proof from this position i command the ridge behind which runs the hospital trench i can see perfectly every point of this trench and even way beyond it of course if i can see i am seen but no matter at half-past four the attack breaks loose our first waves of assault are soon stopped at the crest by the enemy machine-guns i've made all my men get into the boche bomb-proof because the shells are falling rather thickly and their splinters are flying round everywhere as for myself i climb up on the bank and with the aid of field-glasses i do my utmost to find out where the machine-gun shots are coming from all of a sudden while looking in the direction from which i hear the furious tic-tacs i believe i can see some very thin puffs of white smoke my eyes are tired from continual straining i make desperate efforts to differentiate the various objects yes there is no doubt about it there is at least one enemy machine-gun over there but where shall i aim fortunately i make out through my telescope sight a picket twenty millimetres to the left what luck i am going to have a chance to shoot come out quick i call to my men then i lie down on the gun carefully place my range-finder twenty millimetres to the right and slowly take aim i rise put the field-glasses to my eyes and look at my objective with my foot i press the trigger and the shot is fired my first shell falls short i lengthen the range and see my second fall exactly on the spot from which the little white puffs of smoke have risen i shoot as fast as i possibly can thirty shells and when the last shot has been fired i discover with joy that the rapid tic-tacs have stopped a few minutes later the hospital trench became ours and i did not have another chance to shoot that day the next day we were to attack the prier farm and i was under the orders of my friend commandant b he had confidence in me and since he was a friend of my family was very fond of me he sent for me and said you know i've learned what you did yesterday 
it was splendid to-day i hope that you will do even better i give you perfect liberty to make whatever arrangements you like we shall attack at one o'clock i was very happy filled with a great desire to do good work i made up my mind to try to do all i possibly could to prove my gratitude to this man who had been so good to me and who had always treated me as if i were his own child i did do all that was humanly possible that day but alas i did not do enough since i did not succeed in shooting the boche who killed my friend a few hours later i spend the whole morning in studying carefully with my field-glasses the prier farm its surroundings and the ravine of Combla. in front of the farm i see five or six germans running across a little open space disappearing immediately in a hole at once i put my gun in action and the dirt and the boche fly into the air i am in the act of levelling my cannon when i see commandant b beside me with two other officers you don't intend to knock over the brickyard with your little gun do you he asks no mon commandant i answer but i intend to make my shells pass through the little loopholes which you see they will explode inside the brickyard wounding or killing the boches who are there and destroying the machine-guns which may be in there too it is impossible that you can succeed in making your shells go through those little holes wait two minutes and you can judge mon commandant i put my cannon in position carefully take aim and shoot the first shot is too long and slightly to the right the second again is too long the third explodes inside the brickyard and several seconds later we see smoke coming out of the little holes without losing any time i shoot at full speed all my shells hit their target the commandant and the two officers were lost in astonishment like everyone else in the regiment they had been sceptical of the real value of our new little cannon although the work which i had done the day before had shown that it could be useful but the sight of such accuracy of fire literally stupefied them at exactly five o'clock our waves of assault start for the attack i hoist my cannon to the position which i have prepared on the highest spot i could find it is none too easy to do this as we are in full view from all sides all of a sudden the fire of the enemy machine-guns is let loose in front of us in the orchard one then two then three begin to shoot at full speed as well as several others down in the ravine i begin to fire on those situated directly in front immediately countless bullets whiz around us i make my men go down and continue to shoot alone with one man to pass me the shells i destroy one machine-gun then two the third stops firing i don't know why now the bullets are coming from everywhere at once striking the gun-shield with a dull thud though fortunately not penetrating it my hour has not yet come i let them clatter and whistle and now i level my cannon in the direction of the ravine i am the target of two or three machine-guns which are visibly and obstinately trying to put me out of action a terrible duel is taking place the man who is passing me the shell says his hand pierced by a bullet i summon another and keep on firing i silence two more enemy machine-guns finally seeing that our first waves of attack have reached the outskirts of the farm i bring the cannon down take it to pieces and we set out in the direction of the orchard by way of the hospital trench on the way i set up the cannon three times and three more machine-guns are silenced i spent that whole day in examining with great care the ravine of Combla and the ridge of hill one forty behind which lies frejicourt i discovered during the course of these observations at least twenty loopholes for machine-guns i told the commandant about them and our seventy-five sprinkled them with shells as was fit and proper i did no shooting that day the morning of september sixteenth was again spent in making observations and in the afternoon when our attack broke out at five o'clock my cannon was set up astride a trench ready to sweep the ravine of Combla i had a great deal to do that day for the boche machine-guns were numerous it is extremely difficult to discover the exact spot from which the shots are fired the flashes are rendered absolutely invisible by the fire-screens with which all the german machine-guns are provided 
only with the greatest difficulty can one succeed in distinguishing even with a good pair of field-glasses a very thin and tiny puff of white smoke which escapes from behind the screen at each shot only to evaporate immediately i was fortunate enough to destroy two more machine-guns though it was unusually hard to fire from this position as the ground in front was broken up into little valleys then as our waves of assault progressed i silenced the third situated at the crest of hill one forty i had a particularly hard time destroying this last one i could not find any position from which to fire conveniently each time that i tried to put the gun into action i encountered some new obstacle to obstruct my range as a last resort i decided to get right in front of the machine-gun about a hundred metres away from it we mounted it in the bottom of the trench itself then we raised it carefully above our heads and set it right across the trench six seconds later the first shell fell exactly on my objective two minutes later the machine-gun and its crew no longer existed for the first time my gun shield was pierced by a bullet fired point-blank i don't know from where the next day an intense german bombardment made us fear a counter-attack so i set up my cannon in a position from which i should be able to protect our left flank in case the bow should try to surprise us from that side toward four o'clock in the afternoon when i was in the commandant's shelter the german bombardment still raging the colonel entered fresh from inspecting the positions of the battalion we are to be relieved at midnight i began to make my preparations for i foresee that it is not going to be easy to transport our cannon in the pitch dark the rain indeed has transformed the trenches into quagmires into which we sink up to our knees on that account i ask the commandant if we cannot wait until daybreak before starting out and he readily grants the permission toward five o'clock in the morning comes the order to depart the march is extremely difficult we sink in the mud and it is necessary to use our hands to climb out we slip men and cannon often fall and roll together in the shell holes after a few moments we are nothing but moving masses of mud it takes us eight hours to cover the five and a half kilometres which separate our first line trenches from Morapah. there we find again the gun carriage and the rolling kitchens from the moment of his arrival the general begins to congratulate us upon the brilliant manner in which the regiment has conducted itself he tells us moreover that we shall probably have in the near future an opportunity to gather new laurels there is no longer any room for doubt we are going back into that furnace nevertheless we would rather know the worst than remain as we have been in uncertainty during the course of the review the colonel called me to the attention of the general on account of my conduct under fire the general complimented me heartily and told me that my citation in the order of the day would be brought to the attention of all the regiments of the army corps he shook my hand cordially telling me to continue to do my duty on the twenty fifth in the afternoon came the order to depart that evening we again arrived at Morapah. on the twenty sixth comble was taken by the one hundred and tenth during the night of the twenty seventh we relieved that regiment our first line trenches were situated several hundred metres in front of the railroad station of comble the enemy trenches were between morval and frejicourt twelve hundred metres away i installed myself with my men a little to the left of the railroad track in a large comfortable bomb-proof of reinforced concrete which had formerly been occupied by some boche officers the cannon we set up on top of the bomb-proof itself taking care to cover it with some green painted canvas during the night of the twenty eighth we advanced our line three hundred metres without opposition the following night we again advanced three hundred or four hundred metres under the same conditions and on the morning of the first of october we found ourselves nose to nose with the boche hundred metres from their trenches End of section fifty five this recording is in the public domain.